They don't get it and they don't seem to care. We had to drag Labor kicking and screaming to the table. A government that is bitterly divided. We've got to raise the standards of journalism a little bit here. Hi. I'm Frank Kelly from RN Breakfast. And I'm Patricia Carvellas from RN Drive. And this, this is, is the, the Party Room, room Live at Rome Adelaide. Look, we are very excited to be here, probably more excited than you are. We've been very excited about this event, and we're particularly excited because Fran is an Adelaide girl, so this is her home turf. I'm a Melbourne girl, but I'm becoming an Adelaide girl just in two days. As the PM would say, how good is how Adelaide? How good is Adelaide? Fair dinkum. Fair dinkum. We like to uh, quote the Prime Minister as often as we can, so good luck with that over the next hour. Look... The party room, usually, Fran, you're in Sydney, I'm in Melbourne. People usually, don't know that. That's exactly right. We never see each other. In fact, I had to get someone to point her out to me today. But um, <laughs> So, yeah, we're never this close. That's very funny. So and now she's that? upstaging me again. That's very funny. But this time we are together. We're on a stage. It's a totally different context. And we are doing something very different. We're inviting guests that are politicians, Fran, which is a little weird. What are, normally, why are we doing that? Polit politicians aren't known for being the life of the party, but we thought we would allow some in because they are locals. So Simon Birmingham and Penny Wong will be joining us a little That's later. Right. Let's hear it. Just a few interesting facts about both of them. They are both from Adelaide. I think you guys probably know that. They're both kind of moderates in their party. Yeah, they are. I'll tell you something else, PK. They both take their kids to the same Chinese language teacher on a Saturday morning. So these guys hang out on Saturdays. It's like... It's amazing. So they'll be with us very soon. But Fran, let's take a seat. Let's get on with it. we've got some stuff to talk about. Yeah, normally the party room, I don't know, do any of you listen to the podcast? That was like fishing for that a compliment. That is the right answer. <laughs> Um, normally, as you know, we look back at the week of politics, but we've just done one of those. So we, today we're going to try and open it up a little. We are effectively in an election campaign. So we're going to talk about some of the, the, the issues that we expect might come up, the atmospherics of that campaign. There'll be some here and now politics because politics never sleeps, um, but it's going to be a, a slightly broader conversation. PK and I'll talk for a while, then we'll invite our guests on, and then at the end of it, we'd like a couple of questions from the audience so we'll invite you to think of a question put your hand up and we'll see how many we can fit in but, so, so we are going to zoom out as we like to think macro what's going to happen in this election campaign we recorded our last episode on thursday who's listened to it oh okay so PK, they've been too busy at womad that's, that's the answer to that that's so right now get your phones out it's called the party room subscribe now tell your friends i like to build the numbers wherever i can but since thursday when we recorded it i thought by Saturday, not much to talk about. But Fran, there's a few ex-Prime Ministers that have kept us busy since Thursday. Honest to God, I don't know what Scott Morrison would do without the ex-Prime Ministers. For a start, he wouldn't have an emissions policy. No. Because he had to go back and get Tony Abbott's and then he had to get Malcolm Turnbull's. And now... They're coming up with even more friendly helpers, the Prime Ministers. I mean, Malcolm Turnbull was in London where he pointed out that it was a particularly Australian kind of madness that saw him dump from the leadership. That would have been helpful for Scott Morrison at this point in the election cycle. And then he also came up with the observation, which was news to me, that they got rid of him because he was going to win, PK. Yeah, that's his... 
That's his thesis. Now, to be fair to Malcolm Turnbull, friend, I think he really does believe that. He argues that they had marginal seat polling, which showed that they were effectively ahead in some of those marginal seats, and that the, the ground game showed that it was essentially line ball between Labor, yeah. and that his party disliked him so much for ideological reasons that they wanted to get rid of him because they thought he would be successful at the election, and they didn't want him to become Prime Minister again. I'm not convinced by this theory. He firmly, he firmly believes that I know, and it's true that the dislike was so intense from some that that might have been an element. But I think the other element to it was there were some that believed that because they disliked him so much, nobody in Queensland in particular could or would vote for him. And the popular uh, understanding of this election campaign is it'll be won or lost in Queensland. Now, we're going to talk about that later. But but that's Malcolm Turnbull. Tony Abbott, too, was Tony very Abbott's helpful. Tony Abbott's been busy. Tony Abbott's come out. He's got a a fight on his hand in Warringah. And he, as you know, has had a number of positions on climate change and a number of positions on the Paris Climate Agreement. He was the Prime Minister who signed the agreement. So he signed the agreement, you'll recall, and then after signing the agreement and he stopped being the Prime Minister, he was rolled. You know, he's never been very happy about that. I think that's an understatement. So he stops being the Prime Minister and then he starts advocating while Malcolm Turnbull is the Prime Minister implementing the policy that he signed up to as Prime Minister that Australia withdraws from the Paris Agreement. Now, he's been arguing this for some time now, that we should Pensions, withdraw. Pensions, pensioners, not Paris. That's right. Pensioners, not Paris. Paris out, right? He's saying things have changed. Donald Trump was elected. The world has changed. But now, Fran, he says we should stay in Paris. Why has he had this sudden change of mind? Mm. Uh, Waringa. Yeah, correct, Amundo. <laughs> so Tony Abbott's facing a massive, massive challenge in Waringa, obviously, in the form of an independent challenging him and a very strong grassroots campaign. What's interesting, though, is I think it's a play for Waringa, but I think it's more than this, friend, and I'd love to get your insights. I think it's also about the leader. I think the fact that Malcolm Turnbull is no longer the leader means that he's not using the Paris Agreement as a way to wedge Turnbull, because the leader now is somebody who is more, he's more ideologically comfortable with. And I think this has been on display for a while. I mean, has anyone noticed that um, in the last few months, we haven't actually heard much from Tony Abbott, Craig Kelly... Kevin Andrews, Erica Betts, others, um, about climate change and about energy policy. It was a stick to beat Malcolm Turnbull over the head with and to beat Malcolm Turnbull, I think, and by, by and large. It was a culture war issue within the coalition party room, I think. That has changed with the change of a leader uh, to some degree, so they've been pretty silent anyway. But now Tony Abbott, of course, does have a real issue. He's got a real contest in Warringah, I think. And what's interesting about this for me is that it shows just how local campaigns... Because what's happening now is that Tony Abbott is very engaged in Warringah. He's talking about local issues constantly, how those local campaigns can transform politicians. Because when voters are sending them a message, they have to respond, or there's an electoral cost. And we have a precedent, people. In 2007, John Howard lost his seat. Now, he was the standing... Well, you might be happy about it, you know... We, we don't form a view about people change, you know, you, people vote, you vote how you want to. It was clear that some of you didn't like him there. Uh, but either way, he lost his seat. And I think the Liberals learnt a lesson from that, which is do not assume anything. And uh, Wentworth as well, the recent result, but, has but, changed the whole space. Yeah, but there's another lesson from the John Howard thing in 2007, which is on the eve of an election, John Howard had a transformation on his position on emissions too. And in 2007, we'd had 
an extraordinarily long drought, you know, the longest drought ever. And um, John Howard came up with an emissions trading scheme, a complete about-face. So at the last minute, trying to catch up, if you like, with the electorate, largely, on these issues, it didn't work then. I don't know that it's really going to work for Tony Abbott. But I also think there's another issue here, PK, which takes us to our next bit of the conversation, I think, which is that after the, Vic the Wentworth result and the Victorian state election, where federal MPs who were on booths reported people coming up to them and berating them about climate policy, uh, it became clear to the leadership of the Liberal Party and, and many, of the, many of them um, that they have a real issue here with some of the small L Liberal seats, if you want to put it that, some of the blue ribbon inner, inner city seats of Melbourne, of Sydney um, and, and other places, probably Adelaide too, I guess. Um, and so that's why, to some degree, people have gone quiet on this. We haven't heard a word of coal. Coal is the word that dare not speak its name until a few gnats this week. Um, and I think that's about those seats. Gnats this week. Okay. So, you, you, you just love a leadership contest. Now, Fran, it's not a game. This is the nation. This is not a sporting match. It's not a battle either. There is an election very close. This is the calm before the storm, right? Is it the calm, though? I don't feel like there's much calm. I actually withdraw that statement. It's not calm. There's nothing calm about it. But at the moment, the Nationals appear to be having their own leadership issue. Can you believe, Fran, that we have an election in May, a budget in a month, and the Nationals are talking about topping their leader and getting Barnaby Joyce, perhaps, <laughs> after everything we've seen. Now, whatever your views on Barnaby, but I just, I'm talking about it not in the personal no, realm, no, no. but just the idea of getting rid of your leader this close to an election. It's like, are you guys crazy? Yeah, it's are actually you... quite mad. It is quite mad. I mean, we're still... I think the coalition would have most would happily admit they're still racking up the transactional costs of the last leadership contest, and now the Nats are looking at another one. Now, fair to say that they'd be disappointed with the performance of their leader. He's not the most cut-through politician. No, and he's he does make quite a few mistakes. Makes a few mistakes. They are likely. I think, to lose some seats that they may hold if they had a stronger leader, and that's what they're worried about. They're actually worried about being relegated out of party status in some of the states. So they are concerned about their performance under Michael McCormick, but to think that they could consider another change of leadership, that the electorate wouldn't punish them, as they clearly punished the Liberal Party in Wentworth, is just nuts. Yeah, like, I think... I think most people agree that it's nuts. Now, my view, I'm just going to give it to you because, you know, I think you want to know, I hope you want to know, is that I don't Even think... Even if you don't want to know, she's going to give it to you, so... You know, a bird pooped on my hat before, on my hat, and Fran laughed. Fran's been mocking That's me all day. funny. And actually pooped on me, and I had bird poo on me, so I've had a very difficult morning, guys, okay? Um, I will share this view with you. I don't think the Nats will roll their leader. Not because I think they'll decide unity is important, but I think the Nats are terrible at leadership change. Do you even remember when they had to turn to Michael McCormack, how badly organised well, they was? Well, they didn't know how to do it, and they freely admit that. We don't know how to do these things yeah. in the National Party because we really like getting on. But they're not getting on, and they haven't been getting on since the leadership of Barnaby Joyce, basically. They're a very divided party room. There's a there's almost an ideological divide in that party room too, but there's some who will not vote to reinstate Barnaby Joyce, and until they can get their sort of ducks in the row on this, I don't think they could risk it. I, I agree, I don't think it'll happen. Okay, so now we're going to zoom out, like, you know, Google Earth style, right? We're looking up at politics. You're on fire. 
I don't know why I'm doing this with my hands. Um, this is going to be a podcast. We're actually going to distribute this. You can listen to it twice or share it with your friends. But let's do it. All right, Fran, I want to know some of the things you're going to be looking for. Trends, issues, seats, personalities, you choose them. A couple of things that you pick that you're going to be watching for in this election. What, what is it? Is there a particular seat? Is there a particular, you know, character? Is there a particular style? What are you looking at? Look, elections run out as they do and you chase a million rabbits down a million burrows during election time and there'll be a lot... Of, let me tell you this. There'll be a lot of uh, seat focus on in Dixon, in Peter Dutton's seat. In, in Brisbane, uh, out of Brisbane. Uh, there'll be so many, you know, segments on the radio and the television from Dixon, you, you'll be sick of it, that's for sure. Uh, there'll be some of those up in far north Queensland as well. Then Josh Frydenberg's seat of Kuyong, there'll be the same thing. So there'll be particular focuses through the election. On election night, we're not... It's the really fascinating thing for me about covering an election is that, you know, you cover the campaign, you cover the themes, the polls come and go, the polls inevitably tighten. There's always a moment where you think you just really don't know how this is going to go. And then on election night, something stunning happens one way or the other. And, you know, in 2013, it was quite clear early on this was likely to be a hung parliament. That was a stunning result you know, in terms of analysis. Um, and a lot flow from there, as we know. In 2010... 2010. Yeah, the one before. Yeah, the one before. There's been a couple. Um, anyway, so there's those moments. And so I guess I think through to election night, what will I be looking for in the analysis of what's happened? And it will be, I think, a couple of things for me. I will be looking at the whether there's been ongoing transactional costs for the coalition of the leadership change of from August, because we saw that play out in Wentworth. We saw it, to some degree, play out in the Victorian state election, I think, to some degree. And um, Scott Morrison is trying, you know, running as hard as he can to close down those loopholes, to try and close them off, to appease the Liberal voters who are unhappy still at, at everything that went on and the, the shift in the Liberal Party, whether he's done enough to bring people back into the fold. So I will be looking at that. That'll very The election result will tell us that. Um, and, and I will also be looking at, um, for me, female representation within the parliament at the end of this election, because I think this is a really big issue for the Liberal Party. I think... Well, it's a big issue for all of us, right? I think, I think all, of all of us have, have a view, and I think Australia says that our parliament should look like Australia. I think most people think that. Exactly right. And I think that what happened, and this is one of the transactional costs for the Liberal Party, to use that phrase again, was with the overthrow of Malcolm Turnbull and the number of Liberal women who stood up and accused their party of being uh, a party of inequality, a party of being, of you know, of bullying. Um, you know, someone left the party, another person got rolled. Suddenly there's all these women exiting the Liberal Party, as we've seen. It's just shone a light right on this issue for the Liberal Party. The fact they only have 11 women in the lower house is appalling. And so I think it'll be interesting to see if all whether their efforts, and I don't know their efforts have been nearly enough in my view, um, you know, change that dynamic. And I suspect that they won't very much, that on the night the Liberal Party will be revealed as having not certainly not done anything much, if anything at all, to change that. And that will be I think a major issue for the Liberal Party and it could be an issue that quite a few women vote on this election. All right, I'm going to give you my points BuzzFeed style. Number one, which means, you know, in dot points, right? Firstly, I'm going to be looking at the leafy suburbs in my home state of Victoria. I'm going to be hanging out and, you know, 
Malvern and Toorak and have you guys gone to Melbourne? They're lovely suburbs. But how those people vote will redefine the notion of what the Liberal base is. So there's the Liberal Party membership, Fran, which is not the base. The base are the people who vote for them. And the people who vote for the Liberal Party said in the state election, in the Victorian election, that they were not happy with the direction of the party. So everyone would be looking in those seats, but I will specifically be looking in those seats because, you know, I'm a Melbourne girl and I, I think it's really important to see how those kinds of things are shifting and how the Liberal Party is going to have to reassess the direction it takes based on those results. That's my first thing. Secondly, I want to know how the Greens go. So I think the Greens are struggling a bit. I think the Greens have had a bit of a plateau. So it'll be interesting to watch how the Greens go in seats like Batman, where Jed Carney won in that by-election. I, I want to see how they go under, you know, the leadership uh, of Richard Di Natale. I think that's going to be an interesting sleeper issue as well. It's a side issue. It's a minor party, but it's also really interesting. And on another party, on the right, I'll be looking at how One Nation goes too. Now. On the podcast, sometimes we kind of go, ah, with One Nation, because, you know, there was a, the blood on the door. And the blood on the door, a, that was a fine moment in the Australian Parliament. On parliamentary doors. I know we should dig deep, but part of me thinks there's blood on the door. I don't know what to do with that information, Fran. I don't know how to go there. So I'm not really sure how One Nation will go. There's also Clive Palmer. And I don't know if you've been... Put your hand up if you've got a Clive Palmer text. You've been spammed. Me too, right? So that guy clearly has a bit of cash, um, not so much for his workers, but apparently for sending you texts about his party. I want to see how Clive Palmer goes. And thirdly, last point, and then I'd love to this get your full. views. This is false. Oh, Fran, we didn't give Hurry it a number. Up. Did we give it a number? <laughs> Have I broken the rules? I like to break the rules. So is going to be, what is the dominant issue? We know Scott Morrison tried to pivot to boats. We know this, we've watched this. But my view is that this election, like all elections, but more than ever, is it going to be an election on the economics and whose economic vision Australians are more convinced by. I don't know how that will land, but I think that's what people care about. And on that point, we do have a stark difference, I think. We have, I mean, Bill Shorten um, was really quite a, a, a zinger he came up with this week to say that this will be a referendum on wages, I think. That's how they want to position it. The government wants to be positioned on the best economic management. We're going into dangerous times. Why would you trust Labor? So that's basically it. But I do think another element to be watching out for in this election campaign, and it's hard to tell right now, but we will zero in on it in the election, is whether Labor's economic policies, unusually for an opposition, they put quite significant uh, policy changes out there a long way out, which is often, you know, it's not a small target strategy. It's a, it's a, it can be a very dangerous thing to do, but particularly for me, whether the franking credits issue bites in some of those marginal seats in parts of Queensland, where there's a lot of retirees, whether Labor has misfired, miscalculated on this. It's hard to tell at the moment. Labor seems very confident and maybe they've got, maybe Penny Wong will tell us this, maybe they've got private polling that I don't know about. She's not going to tell us, don't She's worry. She's so not going to tell <laughs> us about that. Um, but, Have you, know, you met her? <laughs> maybe, maybe they are confident enough that they can carry this backlash and still, you know, have enough clear air to win. But I think that's going to... It'll be interesting to see if that issue is a real issue in this election. So finally on that point, I think it's an exciting election. I really do. I would say that. This is my bread and butter, right? But I also genuinely believe it, because I do think it's a big contest of some big ideas here. It's not... It's not an election that's like banal, same as. There are all of these big issues, and I am genuinely intrigued about 
how Australians are going to vote on these issues. The divide between rural and city Australia, the inner city, all of these areas, how they respond to these economic man management issues, these messages they're hearing, whether some of this, these lines that Scott Morrison's been running about Labor being weak on borders does resonate. I don't think we have much evidence on that. But Fran, I'm watching the clock and I think it's time for our uh, guests. Should we do it? I don't know. We're so nervous. We haven't invited politicians to our party before, but we should do it. Okay, let's bring on the guests. Great to be with you. Because Adelaide's like this every day, isn't it? Yeah. Minister for Trade, Shadow Minister for Foreign Affairs, both from Adelaide. On the couch together. On the couch Very together. Very close, actually. We, we, well, we, we didn't want to look like we were doing this. Yeah. <laughs> we thought that would be a bad look. All right, look. level with us, because I think people are really interested in this. You actually like each other, don't you? Just admit it. <laughs> you do. Yes. 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 I, I think that's fair enough. <laughs> you do. That's allowed, isn't it? Yeah. I, yes. I think not only is it allowed, but it. people want to hear more about that because politics is ugly, it's divisive, it's mean, it's, it can be very bad. Look, my daughters are in the audience and sometimes I'm embarrassed. Luca and Stella, shout out. Sometimes I'm embarrassed about the things that they hear on the radio when they're listening to RM Breakfast and it's not Fran I'm embarrassed about, okay? <laughs> I'm very proud of Fran and the questions she asks, but some of the things people say are so alarming that I think this is not normal. But the truth is, you do work together very often, don't you, Penny? We yes. do, we do. I mean, the Senate also, I think, is... Because it's a, um, a chamber where governments don't have the majority, no one party has the majority, the, the, probably the culture generally is you have to actually collaborate a little more and there is a disincentive to destroy relationships in the way that, mm. you know, really having a go at someone personally does. There are some exceptions to that. Barry Would you care to name them? Barry, Barry O'Sullivan from the National Party and Ian McDonald from the Liberal Party, who really hates my guts. He does. He does. Whenever I stand up, he says, Penny, Penny. <laughs> Watch Question Time, it's true. Like, that was actually pretty realistic impersonation. Who hates your guts, Simon? Ooh. His own party. <laughs> oh, please. Sorry, that was me. Sure. That, that was that actually was. a bit me. I think but there's 12 funny. years of evidence to the contrary, but... <laughs> Not the no. South Australian party, I mean, you know. It, 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 it makes a good point, though, Simon. I mean, you are sitting in a party room with shrinking friends. I mean, I mean... Oh, I we, don't agree. Well, after this... There's always new friends to be made every election. Well, that's... Well, the beauty of change. For your sake, I hope you're right in this election, but... Um, I mean, you've had key moderates leaving you. Kelly O'Dwyer's going to leave you. Julie Bishop's going to leave you. We don't know about Craig Lundy, but there's a fair chance. Uh, Malcolm Turnbull's already gone. So you're going to be sort of like the only moderate in the village. And, well, no, they're <laughs> going to be replaced as well, Fred. Like, you know, it's not like they leave and nobody gets elected at the next election. There's a whole bunch of new candidates who come in. And, of course, we'll see. We'll see what the values and the aspirations but of those individuals are. But just from that moment, that moment that was reported, that was never meant to be reported, of course, it was about a year and a half ago now, where Christopher Pine was at a, you know, a little gathering of the moderates and he 
um, miss... There are times when you're really grateful that you weren't at an event. Yeah, I know. And there's times when you really wish I hadn't mentioned the name Christopher Pine because you know there's going to be trouble coming. He said, the moderates are in the winner's circle. And from that moment on, there was an effort, it looked like from the outside, from those non-moderates to change that. And they have changed that because six, 18 months on and you're no longer in the winner's circle, are you? Within your party room. Well, I'd have never used that description in any event. I think, in the end, there's always a battle of contests in each political party. It's not like the Labor Party is one homogenous, all-agreeing outfit. Uh, they have a wide range of views in their camp. We have a right, wide range of, of views and, yeah. and opinions in ours. And, of course, you, know, you have that battle of contests. That's why people get involved in politics. They get involved in politics because they're passionate about what they believe in and their different views. And they join a political party and they find, guess what? Not everybody in that political party agrees with their view either. And so the battle occurs inside that tent as well. That's just the way it works. Any political party. Okay, let's go there. Because you were, the, you were the first gay in the village. And what I mean by that is you were the first person who revealed that you supported... No, you were the first gay in the village. Yeah. <laughs> but it was a different village. <laughs> different village. I like how you work that, Penny. But... Um, Simon Birmingham, I am going to give myself a bit of a plug here. I was the first person who wrote the story. Remember, you gave me the exclusive that you believed that your party should support same-sex marriage. I, I think you beat it out of me, but anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was a lovely exchange and we published that story. And you, you were the first one, though. So the point of that story is that you were a leading moderate. You were, you were taking risks, you were pushing your party in a direction that a lot of people didn't agree with. How is that looking now? Not that issue, but that push. That's what Fran's trying to get at. You've, you've lost some significant battles... Let's be honest, the National Energy Guarantee was shelved in the dying days of Malcolm Turnbull's government because the moderates had lost that battle. So how do you see that post-election? How are you going to, you know, get yourselves together? Do you plan to be the leading moderate in your party? Do you plan to take over for Christopher Pine? <laughs> I, I think those sorts of things are far more organic, particularly in our party, and we don't have formalised factions. You don't fill out the form and say, I'm going to be moderate or conservative or otherwise like. You actually do join factions in the Labor Party. And therefore, there's not a leader who's elected or otherwise. Different people stand up on different issues at different times and you try to rally the numbers to your cause in doing so. And that, yeah, that really is how it will work after the next election as well, that whoever's there in the ranks will, of course, be arguing the toss. You know, we will agree on a whole wide range of things that we take to the next election, but there are always, always issues that the cabinet, the shadow cabinet, the caucus, the party room, whatever it is, you're going to have those debates inside your ranks. Will and you, sometimes you win them, sometimes you lose will, them. That's politics. Will you be trying to move your party to the centre-right? I try on try every individual that? issue based on what I believe, what I think is the right thing for us to do and aspire to as a nation, as a senator for South Australia. In the end, it's a case-by-case. Uh, and it's a case-by-case, issue-by-issue thing. Simon Birmingham, I don't want to put you on the, on the hot seat here because this is not you here as a representative necessarily of the government per no, se. and it but, is a party. But there is an issue that is uh, blown up in the last 24 hours in the International Wednesday. The Prime Minister yesterday gave a speech and gave some remarks and Penny Wong's given a little doorstop about them. And in those remarks, he said, you know, we want women to rise up, but we don't want others to have to... What's the quote, PK? Pay... We don't want others to be adversely affected, affected by now, that. Given most people agree that there's still dominantly a binary of men and women, when you talk about others, we thought that meant men. <laughs> but, but the question is... 
the question is, for the Prime Minister to put it that way, puts it squarely in the context, I think this is what he was trying to do, of the bit of a theme for the government at the moment, which is, you know, Labor's all about the politics of envy, putting it in the, the paradigm of the politics of envy, when really what we're talking about is the politics of equality, and that's different. Like, someone, if someone has to be risen up, then it is, by definition, someone has to give way for that. And that's, you can't just have it every, you know, you can't have it always. Fran, I think it depends where you're looking at in terms, of, uh, in terms of the debate. If you're talking about young people growing up, of course we want every child growing up to believe that there are no barriers, no gendered or other barriers to their success and to them being able to achieve that. And ultimately we want them to, when they have grown up, encounter a world where there are no such barriers. And in that sense, you don't want them to grow up thinking one versus the other, one better than the other or otherwise. It's quite the opposite that you're trying to encourage in terms of a view of equality and respect and opportunity that exists there. Now, of course, if you're talking about a binary position and you know, the chief executive of a company or the head of the Seven ABC or whatever, then, of course, and it's a record number, but then, of course, you've actually got a circumstance where it is one person versus the other. And that is a a binary option at the end of the day for you know, a single position and who fills that single position. But at the but moment, it, women aren't winning in that transaction, are they? We, we still have a way to go, but we have come a long way too. Like, let's recognise as a society that I'm the only bloke on this stage. You know, we've it's come, because it's not a meeting of the Liberal way. Party, Simon. If it was a meeting of the Liberal Party, there'd be five of us well, Fran and, and four I are, of them and, would and be men. Neither members of the Liberal or the Labor Party, and we are very happy about that. Sorry, guys. Anyway, I want to bring you back in, right? Let's just go, let's a bit of, bit of going down history. You know, history's good. And I want to then put this to you. What are the lessons that you've learnt from those ugly years? Because you're going round again to be a minister again in a government, like your second go, right? Sorry to rub it Thank in. Thank you for rubbing <laughs> that in. And obviously the Rudd-Gillard-Rudd years were pretty ugly. What are the lessons you've learnt from that on a very personal level as well about how to stop that happening again? Well, I think collectively we've understood as a party, you know, that you have to be disciplined, you have to be unified. Uh, and I think the last nearly six years, five and a half years of opposition has demonstrated that. We've had same leader, same deputy leader, same Senate leader, same shadow treasurer. And... Uh, we, I think, have found again, and, and that, it was a hard lesson, wasn't it? We, we, we lost government, uh, and primarily as a result of the disunity. But can I just come back to um, the women's issue? Oh, I had a hard no, 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 I'm not, I'm not <laughs> I, and I feel a little, I feel a little, I'm not, I don't want to make Summit too uncomfortable, but I actually thought, <laughs> maybe a little, um, <laughs> in, a, in a nice way. Um, so we had a Women's Day breakfast here. Incidentally, it's the largest Women's Day breakfast in Australia. So, so thank you to everyone who comes. And it, in the state, it was the first place in the world where women could both vote and stand for parliament. And a very important part of our history. Uh, and uh, it was a great event. It's always a great event, bipartisan. Um, uh, lots of young kids as well as um, uh, older women. Uh, full of energy. And we left that and then reports come in about what the Prime Minister has said. And I actually thought it was a parody at first. Like, I thought it was like the chaser or someone writing something funny. Then I realised it actually was true. And I think there are a whole range of ways you can look at it. But, I mean, fundamentally what he was saying was you can have equality as long as you don't put anybody out. And I, I've been trying to wonder why he actually said that. Does it, is, it that is, is that what he actually believes? 
Or is it simply that he wants to message to his party room or to some view about what the, quote, liberal base is? Because it is just that his comments are so out of touch with where most Australians are. I mean, that, that, that was the thing that struck me. I thought, you don't know where most Australians are. I think most Australian, you don't reflect the aspirations, hopes and expectations of Australian women. And I don't think you reflect the views of Australian men, the vast majority of Australian men. So, Simon, you wouldn't agree with that comedy, mate. Well, as I... Don't dance around it. Do you agree with that comment he made? Oh, well, you've got to look at the whole context of what he was saying. No dancing. Patricia. No. No, no. And that is, I mean, that's what I was explaining in relation with Fran before. Okay? You don't want young people to grow up thinking you're trying to change the world so that somebody else is better or has a better advantage than somebody else, which is a reverse of where we've been in years where, indeed, somebody did have an advantage over others. Blokes had an advantage over others growing up before. And they still seem to, though, wouldn't you say? You don't say? want that to be the case. You want a sense of fair opportunity for absolutely everybody. And that's what we want to try to instill. It's certainly what I want to instill in my kids, that for them, there are no barriers to their success, and they ought to go out and pursue that. And I want to build a world where there are no barriers but, but to their success. But the reality is, there are. I mean... <laughs> And to give Simon his due, I think he is one of the people that recognises this. But the problem is his party doesn't. And his party, uh, one in five of them are women. I think that the attitudes that are expressed by the overwhelming majority of their leadership and many of the people in that party don't reflect where modern Australia is. Isn't the problem and, that the Prime Minister in his comments should have just said, we want to see and help women rise up so we have equality? End of story, end of quote. He should never have given the qualifier, and that's the truth of it, because the qualifier signals to some that we're not going to miss out. He's going to make sure men don't miss out too. And that's the problem. Because mm. it can't both be true. Well, in the whole, we want to keep... You know, this is a nation that's growing. We want to grow opportunity for everybody. Of but of course, yeah. of course, in achieving equality, that's going to mean that of new opportunities that come forward... And indeed, as I said before, whether it's a binary position, of course it's a contest for who gets there. Yeah. You want to make sure that everybody but at the is moment, equipped Simon, with the best, agree, fairest, equal chance. Simon, okay. you'd agree now, it's, it's not all of the decisions we're seeing cannot possibly be based on merit because that means women are inferior and I don't accept that women are inferior. Right? But I would agree, agree Patricia, that, that, I reckon you would. That, that across the board, when you look at a whole range of areas where we have not achieved equality, now we have focused very hard in a whole range of government ranks to make sure that when it comes to board appointments and other things, we've been actually driving towards equality in a number of portfolios, now quite a number of portfolios. We have more than 50% of women on government boards and committees filling those positions. Sure, but yeah. not in your own party. Hey, hang on. I mean, you've got one in five of your MPs or senators are women. Uh, you, you have women leaving your party because they say they've been bullied. You have former cabinet ministers, or still a cabinet minister, describing your party as anti-women. I don't think you can say you're making progress. The reality is too many men in your party do not want to accept the equal representation of women. I, I think there is no other way to look at the way in which politics around these issues have been run over the last year and, and not believe that. Uh, there, are, there is still a culture... A right culture to drive to change to in a whole range of realms. We have to make sure we keep focusing on that. There are parts, I've got no doubt, elements of trade union movement and elsewhere where there would be wide gender disparity. Now, we've got to make sure that we work on our side and pursue that. I acknowledge that there are a lot of women 
in Labor ranks, and that's been a good thing for the Parliament, and I congratulate you on that. And we have to make sure we keep working in that direction, but we have to drive it absolutely from the ground up in terms of participation at every level of our organisation. All right, let's so move it on. I think just just to just to be. Let's move on. Look, we are going to move on. Let's move it on. I said, let's, let's move, move it on. Moving on up. Remember that great song from the 90s? Um, the M people. I love the 90s. Um, so, Penny Wong, a bit of pressure on Simon Birmingham and very contemporary issues, and, and he accepts that that's an issue, and you have. No, you're going to put pressure but, on me well, about something. Yes, yeah, it's even only up. fair, fair not enough. just for balance, but because I think it's fair. Now, you have had to be in the public sphere, right, which I imagine was incredibly difficult for you, arguing against your own rights. Because of your well, own I had political to party. vote for my own discrimination. Actually. You had yeah. to vote for your own discrimination. Mm. A good reason not to be in those political parties. Yeah. <laughs> but also feel? being but in those political parties, Patricia, is what made change happen. Eventually. But well, how that's, difficult that's is that? Let's on the difficulty. Oh, okay, which one? Go. We asked the same Brand, question. How difficult has is the it? Talking uh, how difficult was it? Yeah. Well, you know, it's not fun. <laughs> no, but I mean, deep. I mean, on a deeply personal level. A lot of people look at you and understand that that's not how you, what you believed. So well, I don't think that was very hard to work out. No, it wasn't. It wasn't. But and it took us a little longer to change the Labor Party position than we would have hoped. And there are a few people here in the audience. Joe Scales is here, and various others in Rainbow Labor who, from the trade union movement and from the community, who helped us change it. So, but in the meantime, you. Penny Wong had to stand in yep. public and vote against your rights. Yeah, well, look, my, if you want a better world, if you want a better country, there are lots of ways in which we do it, right? So you can do it by hopefully being a journalist and telling the truth of and course. making sure... the best way. Yeah, well, well, you... <laughs> no, no, Patricia. I'm just joking. Um, <clears throat> you can do it by being part of uh, organisations, um, NGOs, activism, etc. Like we all, I, those, those of us and most people here I'm sure, we want a, a better world than we have and we work out what are the ways in which I can contribute to that. Uh, I chose to join a party of government and that comes with it enormous opportunities. You get to be a cabinet minister at the table where you're trying to do things like the, the education reforms, their national disability reforms, mental health services, etc. But it also comes with it the discipline of resolving issues internally and trying to fight for change internally. And that sometimes is a very hard position. But if you don't do that, um, things don't change. And I, I, I joined the Labor Party and I became a member of became a member of the Labor Party and decided to stand for Parliament because I believe for whatever faults Labor, the Labor Party has, this is a better country for Labor governments. We would not have Medicare were it not for Labor governments. We would not have the Racial Discrimination Act. We would not have the Sex Discrimination Act. We would not have had the National Disability Reforms or the Native Title Legislation or a whole range of things. So my judgment was, this is my job. Now, at a personal level, yes, it was hard. And the hardest thing was having members of the LGBTIQ community accusing me of homophobia. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and many of Sophie is here. She that. loves being the centre of attention, so I'm not <laughs> going to point her out. But she is here, and she doesn't complain very much. But at one point, uh, a, a gay man wrote that I was homophobic, and I remember her saying, "Are these people for real?" Yeah. And she was actually really upset by it, and so was I. But you know, that's what happens, and I, got, I get why people were upset. Uh, it was a pity my party took a while to get where where we got, but we did in 2011. And I do think marriage equality, I don't think we should have had to go through the process we did. 
uh, but that was one of, if you want to look at the unifying moments this country has had, I think the apology was one, but absolutely uh, the vote on marriage equality because the country did it. The country did it. It's almost time... It's almost time for us to release you from the couch. And Simon Birmingham, you're looking so relieved at that. I'm sorry. Well, he just got started. <laughs> well, we can talk a little Most longer. Most people came to see them, not us. No, I don't know. That that's I true. believe that. Oh, that's they right. love you. Are they we appearing somewhere else? But later? I do think there is, there is <laughs> the a question for both of you because leadership seems to be such a thing these days and we change them all the time. So um, let me ask you this question. Simon Birmingham, if there's a change of government, the leadership will be up for grabs in your party. Do you have a leadership baton in your in your knapsack? <laughs> the, the beautiful thing about being a senator <laughs> is I'm not burdened by that problem, expectation or otherwise. Okay, that's a no. no. That's a, okay. And that's right, in case there was any qualifier in that answer, it's follow a no. Up. Can I have a little follow-up? Yep. Have you thought about moving to the lower house, Simon Birmingham? <laughs> <laughs> this Pe is called trying to create a story. Yeah. That, that's right. People, have you? Pe people have asked. Yes. I mean, I, I, mean I, I, I famously, infamously, otherwise ran for the lower house yeah. once, uh, obviously not so successfully. <laughs> I managed to turn a very marginal Liberal seat into an even more marginal Labor seat. <laughs> anyway, the party forgave. But, but you still harbour some lower house people have asked, and look, People have asked even, of course, in the last few weeks, as you might expect with certain announcements. I just asked now. But I've made my decision <laughs> and I'm staying put. Penny Wong, what about you? Because a lot of people say to me, why isn't Penny Wong the leader of the, Liberal Part of the Labor Party? <laughs> and in fact... I think this crowd cares more about the Labor leadership than the Liberal leadership. Enough, enough. Hashtag just saying. And in fact, that response perhaps explains... I think explains, done the numbers. I know. That, that, that response, in fact, explains the Marie Claire survey that came out this week that showed the most popular leader in the country at the moment would be Julie Bishop and That's the second right. one would be Penny Wong. So there you go. I, I should read Marie Claire more, clearly. Um, uh, no, I don't want to be the leader. Why not? I actually never have. But why not? Why not? Um... Well, partly, well, primarily for personal reasons. Like, I, I think you to, to want, obviously, I could give you the answer. I'm a senator. I chose to go into the Senate, and I did, um, for a range of reasons. Uh, one of them, at the time I ran, I thought the fact that I was gay and Asian would be a significant electoral liability. So I was much better to run for the Senate than a lower house. The world probably, the no, I think way? the world has probably changed in most, I mean, I think particularly South Australian. The South Australian community is a pretty progressive community, pretty socially accepting mm. community. Um, but I, I never want... You have to have that ambition. I never did. And I think the price you have to pay in terms of your relationships, your family relationships, your relationships with your kids, I just would not want to pay that. So, sorry. Not there. Penny Wong, Simon Birmingham, thanks for joining us in the party. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Simon. Thank you. Thanks, Penny. Thanks. Big hand for Penny Wong and Simon Birmingham. Well, let's give them another round of applause because you know what? That's not an easy thing to do. Um, I think Fran will agree with me here. When politicians say yes to an interview on RM Breakfast with Fran or on RN Drive with me, 
they, they get prepared, they've got, you know, all of their answers ready, but when you invite them into a stage like this and you're asking very personal questions, as we did of Simon Birmingham dealing with, you know, the gender issues in his party, Penny Wong dealing with, the, you know, the legacy of this, this pretty awful debate around same-sex marriage, they're very personal, so that's very generous of them to talk pretty authentically with us. It is time now for the new segment on our podcast, which you've downloaded now, yeah? <laughs> I'm actually not being funny about that. You really need to get the podcast. Um, please subscribe. Help lift us and rate and review us while you're at it. Our new segment is called Question Time. We take questions from you. We, we ask you to email us or do it on Twitter using the hashtag The Party Room. We are going to take some from the floor, but we're going to start from some that we have prearranged from the internet. And the internet asks these questions, Fran. Okay, this which one. one? All right, let's start with Perry. And he asks via email... Are you each able to name a Polly from either side of politics who genuinely seeks to answer questions put to him or her when interviewed publicly? If not, from the current crop, any previous? So, you know, they try and avoid questions. Is there anyone who doesn't try and avoid questions? That is a really hard question. I've been racking my brains. Actually, I think Simon Birmingham did pretty well just then, yeah, actually. You did. As a good example of, as did Penny. Penny Wong. Um, it's very frustrating and I get it every morning through the emails, uh, through the text line and through the tw tweets, you know, your frustration at politicians not answering the question. And seriously, we do try. We really try. Um, but so there's not many today, really, who will break out of that. I can't think of any. I, I do think um, Jim Chalmers on the Labor side of politics has a good go at it. I think he does. Um, I've had to hark back to the Tony Abbott in the old days... Because he came from a debating world, he was a champion debater, you know, he used to actually like the cut and thrust and used to like to engage in a real dialogue. But that's, that all changed um, when he was leader. So I have one too, actually. I mean, it is scratching a bit because I do think they still try to fudge. But Arthur Sinodinus, actually, a fellow Greek-Australian... Good point. He's great at he, it. He always does engage with the issue. I recently asked him about gender and how to get into parliament. And he, and I, he said, I've got lots of ideas. And I said, would you like to share them? And he thought about it. He goes, all right. And I was so shocked because I'm so used to them not engaging and I thought, oh my goodness, he's actually going to give me some ideas. And he did and, you know, you don't have to like them, but it was a, an engagement and I think the audience was like, oh, amazing, like this guy, you know, you don't have to agree with his ideas, but the fact is he did try and share those ideas in the public sphere so that you can all debate them and make your own judgments about whether they're good ideas. And I've been around an awfully long time, it seems, in politics. Um, so I really think that thing of not answering questions, John Howard perfected the art. And I would know that in my interviews with John Howard, and I had many, many over the years, I really, he wouldn't take a breath in the first three minutes. So you just couldn't get in there to ask a question. That was a technique he perfected. But before that, um, prime ministers like you know, Bob Hawke or, or Paul Keating, they did answer more genuinely and created... I mean, Paul Keating would sometimes... He thought, as he would say, flick the switch to broad, Broadville and he would sort of go large and make jokes at your expense usually yep. and things like that. So it was a different atmospheric. But in these days, the modern politician, there's, there's lines that they've rehearsed, that they're given, that they stick to, talking points. You know, they're flicked around between them at 5am or something crazy. And it is very hard to bust them out of it. That's right. And just another point on that before we take another question and start putting your hands up. We really would love you to engage. I can see one over here, one over there. For Before we get to that, are we... But just on that, um, yeah, I do think that what's happened is that they get a lot of media training and they actually get 
trained on how to avoid our questions. And this is why this is such a, a, a difficult business, because we then have to retrain ourselves on how to break that training, because that training makes it robotic, very boring for our listeners, not authentic on both sides. So this is so not a partisan view. Yeah, no, view. it's not partisan at all. Labor does it, the Libs do it, the Greens do it. All of them do it, that you have to just be so on the, you know, edge of your seat getting in there to try and make them break that. It, it is a really kind of difficult dance. And I think if I can give them any advice, I don't think they want it from me, but I don't care. Um, dump some of that. Of course, they want to get their messages across, but more authentic you are, people will engage with you and you actually might get more votes. And you know who gave them that advice recently? It came from one of their own, and actually here's a name we should have put forward, but he, we don't get to interview him that much, but it was outgoing National Party Senator John Wacker Williams, yeah. who in his speech to the parliament, his valedictory speech, actually gave this advice to his colleagues. Answer the question, mate. Just answer the question. When a journal asks you the question, just answer it and you'll get on a lot better from that. And that's the best advice we yeah, can give. Yeah, just deal with it. All right, I'd love to take a question from the floor. And there's one over there. Please now, stand up. We need to find a microphone. Do you have one? We've got Great. one. Fantastic. And then there's going to be one here, I think. Put your hand up over here next. So last night I saw the play Manus, which has been performed by an Iranian theatre company here in Adelaide, in Farsi, and critiques both the Australian and the Iranian government in relation to the refugee issues on Ma Nauru and Manus. Two nights ago I sat in front of Amanda Vanstone at the Sri Lankan play Counting and Kraken, which actually shows the situation while she was the Minister of Immigration in Australia. There's been a lot of Royal Commissions recently. How soon do you think we can get a Royal Commission? on the impact the Australian government policy has had on refugees? Well, the reason we won't get a Royal Commission onto that is because neither side would vote for it. Yeah, and right. you get a Royal Commission, as we saw in the banking inquiry, you know, you had to have one side of politics pushing for it and the other side dragged to it. Neither side wants to be examining the policies they, one side wants to be megaphoning messages, which they think really is difficult for the other side to manage, and that's you know, the coalition to Labor. But neither side really wants to examine too closely the human cost of these, these issues. That's my view. So I think never is the answer, I'm afraid to say. I don't know about never. I reckon never say never, just because I think at some point in the future, yeah, they're... they're you know, we always look back at history and there could be a time where there is a groundswell, but I agree with Fran, like, 96% of that. Uh, uh, you've got to have a contest. And Labor has mirrored a lot of the coalition's border protection policies. We didn't get into that with Penny Wong, but that's obviously been a big issue among the left and the right and the Labor Party. So, I mean, it was Kevin Rudd who brought back the, um, the, the Pacific Offshore Solution, detention. essentially. So let's... There is a bipartisanship around this, and when there's a bipartisanship, there's also a bipartisanship around not wanting to inquire into it. All right, let's take that other question from up the front here. You talked earlier about the different parties going into the election, different sizes and shapes and colours of parties. I live in the seat of Indi, and I'd be interested in your thoughts on the increasing role and strength of the independents and what you think that means. I think, personally, I think the independents are a great boon to, uh, the independents and the minor parties are a great boon to the parliament. I think that, you know, it was actually a joy in that 2010 hung parliament to watch the input from others who aren't locked into the party systems, aren't locked into that, that sort of paradigm that, that P 
Penny Wong was trying to explain there about why she couldn't support same-sex marriage when she believed in it. Um, so they could actually, because it was the one time, and we are in this time again now, where the major parties had to negotiate with others and give ground, we got much better policy development. We got some great policy development on, um, on climate policies, energy policies, on water policies, um, because of the input from Tony Windsor and Rob Oakeshott. We're seeing it again now in this current parliament with the um, refugee evacuation uh, bill, that's medical evacuation bill that's come through. I don't think our major parties really hate having to negotiate, but I think personally overall, it can really strengthen the policy development, the policy decisions that come out of our parliament. So I am a big fan by and large, of independence. Yeah. I think, I think this is an election where we're going to see independence, particularly, obviously, we know where it is, in Josh Frydenberg's seat, Greg Hunt now. Uh, these are sitting Liberal MPs in very safe seats historically that are being challenged by independence. So this is an election where the independence is a huge story, you're right. Uh, I think it ultimately depends on the results. So if Labor wins in a landslide, which some people think will happen, I mean, I think never, you know, you can never be sure until people cast their votes personally. So much changes, doesn't it, Fran? We just said, we made the joke at the start, 48 hours since we did the last podcast, it's an entirely different conversation again. Although there is a bit of a deja vu with some conversations. But ultimately, I think the independents lose some of their muscle in the parliament, don't they? Because if Labor won with a 10-seat, 20-seat majority, well, you know, the independents have, have a hard time getting clout. That's why in the Senate you see those minor parties and independents play a role. But either way, I think people are frustrated by the talking points of all of the mainstream parties. We see less rusted on voters, full stop. This isn't just a Liberal problem. This is also a problem for the Labor Party. They have had this problem. They're, everyone's bleeding votes and people are looking for alternatives. Yeah, I mean, the primary votes of the parties, the major parties have collapsed. However, I don't necessarily know that, we, that this is going to be a permanent drift, that we are seeing a weakening, a permanent weakening of the two-party structure in this country, that the independents will necessarily grow in numbers. I'm not convinced of that yet. We may see... With Cathy McGowan leaving Indi, I'm not necessarily confident that that would stay with an independent, and certainly the Libs and the Nats are having a big push on to try and win that back. So I think it's a bit early to tell yet whether we are seeing a permanent change to the makeup of our parliament, um, but certainly I think we will see... I think we will see some more independents elected this time. All right, we have a question over here. Hello. Hi. Lovely to see you two ladies live. I can't even see you. Where are you? Up here. Um, my question is... That's the first reference made to climate change issues. And I, from where I sit, I would have thought that was a major issue in this election. Have you got any thoughts on no, that? No, it is. I don't, I don't think it was our first I, mention. I, I, I thought I touched on it earlier, but, you know, because we've done this podcast two days ago as well, I think we probably had a conversation there. It is we a have major, a back catalogue. What I was trying to say earlier was that the signal from the Wentworth election and by-election and from the Victorian state election very clearly to the Liberal Party in particular was that the, the electorate does care about climate change, that it does want uh, a government of either stripe to be focusing and doing something about climate change. And that's why we've seen the flurry of activity from Scott Morrison last week to bring up forward the issues, as I said, two issues of two past Prime Ministers. So I, I actually agree with you. I think it is a, 
a, a major issue in the electorate as it was, as John Howard finally twigged in 2007. Uh, and I don't think, the, personally I doubt, that the efforts that the Prime Minister has made this late in the stage are necessarily going to be enough. But they, he, they may be enough to convince some rusted-on Liberal voters to stay. Um, but I think that's one of the things we'll be watching for on election night. And so it's a, a major issue, of course. Question over here too, because we're coming close to the end of this session. We've really enjoyed your company, can I just say. But, uh, but I just want to add just a brief comment. Look, the climate issue is, has has really got rid of Prime Ministers, let's be serious. This has been a dominant issue in the electorate and there are really strongly held views. But it was interesting in a recent interview with Lee Sales on 7.30 that the Prime Minister, I thought, did a really strong pivot and was very strong and said, whether you know, you can challenge whether you believe him, but that he really believes in climate change and he was sending a very strong message there that he was not going to question the science. And I thought that was a, that was a response to this being a strong issue in the community. He said that because he wants you all to know that he's not contesting the science. And that is a significant statement from the Prime Minister. Please. I live in the electorate of Cooper, not Batman, because it's Oh, been... you're so right! Yes. And Thank you had... for schooling me. I, I completely forgot. It has changed its name. Yes, and we've had two by-elections in the last six months, so love elections. Um, I had my oldest sister visiting from Canada recently. She's an uh, elected official in the Yukon Territory. She was absolutely astonished with the quality of journalism in Australia, and I'm not blowing smoke. She was watching Q&A and going, there would never be anything like this on TV in Canada. There's nothing like this on Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. So I just put it out to you, be very grateful to have the ABC. Yeah. <laughs> I think we agree with that. We do agree with that. But I do have... A I do have a question. Why didn't anyone raise the ugly issue of Mr. Milo Yiannopoulos and the back down of the decision yesterday yep. to our esteemed Liberal member? Yeah, that's right. David Coleman has intervened. He's the Immigration Minister. You might know right-wing provocateur Milo Yiannopoulos. I don't know if anyone's across this issue. He was banned by the department from coming and doing another speaking tour. I'm just trying to... You know, yeah, because we've got one and a half minutes before the ban starts up over there. And now it seems that the Immigration Minister has intervened to let him in. Look, uh, it is very controversial. Some of you will be against... I mean, I find a lot of the things he says personally quite alarming. Um, but... You know, there's a bigger... I don't know if we can have this now. It's a long conversation about free speech and what you do when you ban people. I don't have firm views on this, but I do think it is significant that the Immigration Minister intervene because it sends some sort of signal, and I think that is a contested signal. I think, and we do, I'm sorry to rush this, but we do really have to wind up by three on the dot. I think it goes back to the conversation we were having earlier about signalling to your base, and I think there's probably some of that in there. Um, but you can always mount an argument for freedom of speech, and it will always be contested. Yeah. And, um, yeah... So, so a bit of fence-sitting from us. <laughs> yeah, we're fence-sitting. We'll just own that. That was very politician of us, Fran, wasn't it? Well, we have been around a while, you yeah, and I, Yeah, we PK. really have. Look, I'd just like to thank you all for coming. It's been fantastic doing a Party Room podcast live. Yeah, it's, it's been, been a awesome. wonderful experience. Thank you, everybody. <laughs> thank you so much for coming along. Um, I've got to say... When I looked at the lineup for WOMAD, and Fran and I, we become buddies in the three years we've done this. We started this podcast at the start of the, the last, last election, election. And I said to Fran, why would they want to see us? There's like Christine and the Queens and all this amazing stuff. If Christine stuff. and the Queens was on, they yeah. wouldn't want to see us. And Get I thought real. maybe Fran could do a Christine and the Queens performance. 
No. Sorry, guys. I've really tried. I thought about even being a backup dancer. I did go to Young Talentine School, just saying. But um, it's but true. No song. There will be songs, though, in our podcast feed. Please subscribe to our podcast. It's called The Party Room if you haven't done it already. This will also be sent out as a feed. Please thank Frank Kelly. Thank you. Thank you, and I promise you a song next week in The Party Room, and please thank PK. And, of course... Thank you to WOMAD for having us. Thank you to our producer, Tanya, for helping us coordinate all of this. Also, Leona, our producer, all the people at the ABC who make us look good. Thank and you Penny so much. And Penny Wong and Simon Birmingham of for course. finding out. Thank, thank you. you. And thank you. High five, Fran. High five, Peter. <laughs>